Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. Today joining me on the show is actor, civil rights activist, and co-founder of the nonprofit organization Valley of Change, Reggie Watkins. Reggie, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me, Melinda. Hey! I love it. I love it. So you're originally from Northern California, right? Yes. Bay Area in the house. Awesome. I love it. So I spent a lot of time in Northern California. It is really, really beautiful area. But when did you make the trek down to LA to make acting your full-time career? Um, okay, so this I lose track of the damn year because I'm getting I'm getting up there, right? But I think it was two well, okay, so I left from the Bay Area first, and I went to San Diego. So I came from, um, I was in San Jose. I left San Jose in, I want to say, 2000, 2000. And I came to San Diego, and I worked in San Diego for a couple of years at the Comedy Store in La Jolla. And then in 2002, I said, I'm making the jump, going to L.A. Mm-hmm. That was it. Lakers won, the, Lakers won the championship that summer. I made. I think I made it happen. It was me moving that spurred it all along. That's that's your like historical landmark. Yeah. <laughs> the moment I love that. So was acting always what you wanted to do? Acting was always one of the things I wanted to do. I, there was two things I was going to do no matter what in my life. I was going to play football. I was going to play football on TV. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess three. I was going to play football. I was going to play football on TV, or I was going to be on TV. That was the only three things I ever thought about doing in my life. Regardless, you were going to end up on TV. <laughs> yeah, I was going to end up on TV. I was going to play football. I was going to. I was going to act. That was it. I love that. Well, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about football for you because I know you host a podcast called Brothers on Football, and we're on hiatus right now. But I did. You host did host. Okay. On so, but I want to ask you a couple questions about it because I think that that concept is so interesting about talking all the things about football, but from a black man's perspective, because I feel like sports in general. It's kind of a polarizing issue when it comes to race. And especially for the black community, you know, you want to support people that are making their careers and, and making moves and, you know, making their way up in the wealth gap. But also I think that sports have such a negative, um, uh, I guess, connotation when it comes to how black men are treated and how they're viewed. You know, you have this on one side, being a, you know, a, a muscular black man is almost idolized and worshiped when it comes to sports, but then you lift them right out of the sports world and it's feared, you know? So do you yeah. ever talk about those types of things on that podcast or what, ex- what are, what is the content that you, that you address on brothers on football? Well, we address, you know, things of that nature. We never address that specifically, which is a great topic. We, sh- you know, when we come off hiatus, yes, there. That- you go for it. I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah. Um, but we talked about, you know, sports from a black man's point of view, which was definitely necessary, right? You get a lot of these podcast spaces where the people who are talking about sports don't look like the people performing the sports they're talking about, right? The space is flooded with that. So it was great to have that as a perspective. And we talked about, you know, especially with the NFL, we talked about ownership in the NFL. There are no black owners in the NFL. That was something we talked about a lot. Uh, We talked about black coaches in the NFL. There's only two, right? Right? I don't even watch. Like, truth be told, Melinda, I do not watch the NFL if I'm not getting paid to watch mm, the NFL. Mm. I've been boycotting the NFL since Colin Kaepernick was kicked out of the league and stopped being able to have a job yeah. because he stood up for people who look yeah. like me. So I will not support the NFL 
unless I'm getting paid to mm-hmm. talk about it. The same way Kaepernick would play if exactly. he got paid. So exactly. you got to pay me to talk about my expertise on the NFL. I'm pretty good at it. But what, what um, that, that's just how we kicked it off. We talked about issues that were coming from a black man's point of view. Um, quarterbacks, you know, there's, there's now starting to be more black quarterbacks. Hell, the best quarterback in the game is black, you know. Mm-hmm. The other, probably the number two quarterback in the game is like the number right. three. This has never been seen before. So we talked about all that stuff. And um, it was a, it was a good show. Only thing I wish that we had done is maybe had some female hosts because we should have had a black woman's point of view yeah, on here as yeah. well. Somebody brought that up to me the other day and I was like, damn, we should have. Yeah. So when we come back, that's what I I'm love advocating. That. I love that you're going to advocate for that. So I'm curious your thoughts because, you know, the NFL came out with a huge statement after when George Floyd was murdered and, you know, basically saying all the stuff that Kaepernick was trying to get them to say the whole time. What was your response to that? I personally was like, well, it's too little too late. At least you're saying something, but look how long it took you to get there. But what were your thoughts on that? Um, I, I did. I had no thoughts. Because, like, you know, I mean, you know what it is. It's lip service. 100%. It's, it's, it's what they got to do because the public says that they should do it. Yeah. Right. Um, for years, the whole thing with the with the Colin Kaepernick thing in the NFL to me was the NFL decided that they would rather hang on to their white fans who they think would be upset by a black man standing up for black people and and, and injustice in the you know criminal justice system, than stand up for what was right. They would rather not upset these people and lose these people. Yeah, That's what they said, and that's what they told us. And that's what we've been seeing, right? So that, you know, they did that. That's a drop in the bucket for them. It doesn't cost them anything to, to make those advertisements and, and say this. Now what are you going to do? Yeah. Like, now what are you going to do? Because we just had another summer, well, another coaching, um, you know, coaching carousel where I think one black man just got hired. Uh, David Culley is going to be the, the coach of the Houston Texans. One, and the number one offensive coordinator for the best team in the NFL, black man Eric Bieniemy, still can't get a job. Mm. Still. It's interesting to me because I, I mean, I don't follow sports that often, but I just, I've noticed in general that it feels like there is a cap on what the value of black life is when it comes to the sports industry. Yeah. Well, you expand on that. What do you what do you what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, if if you do your job and and you play the game and you play it well, you'll get all the accolades and you'll get all the you know acknowledgement. But the minute you start to act like a black person in America, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're not listened to and you're not valued in that sense. Oh, shut up and dribble. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. very frustrating. I mean, we see it across multitude of industries you know but i think sports is a very very prominent one because sports and music for example i think are where black people are the most visible and that's where we have our voices and we're allowed we're trying to use our platforms but you know and and to 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 even add on that you'll you can see um there's there's systemic racism that plays into that as well in sports Mm -hmm. right if you, if you start to see that most of the, the people in football, basketball, um, black, black men, right, getting paid huge salaries. When it comes time for them to negotiate salaries and try to get more money, what do we usually hear in the media or from the plethora of fans is all oh, these greedy players, right? They're trying to get more. They paint these black athletes as being greedy when you know who 
pays these people? The greedy owner, right? So, so, so we're to, I, it's, it's it's actually brilliant. And but it happens. It's not just sports. It happens across corporations. Yeah. They turn the work. They turn working people against working people. They turn Everybody, into villains. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, they turn. They kill the unions. They turn us into. They they make us hate the working man. We should all be championing every NFL player, every NBA player to get every single dollar they can get from a billionaire owner. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't understand how this happened, but it's brilliant. It is it's brilliant. brilliant. It is brilliant. And I mean, that's how they set up the system to work, unfortunately. But that's just how yeah. it is. And, you know, I, I want to go into now the, the main industry that you're in, which is the entertainment industry doing acting. You know, you've been in the industry for a while. So what are some positive changes that you feel that you've seen in terms of diversity, in terms of, you know, businesses or, or studios putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to honoring, you know, black narratives and black lives. Have you seen a positive change over the last few years? I have seen a positive change. Um, I'm busy as hell, right? Like I'm busy with, I mean, voiceovers, like you've never seen so many companies using black voices for their commercials. Cause you know, when the pandemic happened, everything went to voiceover for a while. Yeah. So I was getting script, up, script, up, script, up, script. Like voiceover, and I'm like, yo, hold up, uh, Porsche is gonna have a black man talking on their commercial. That was what I was getting. It was, it's definitely a positive change that's happened. Now, what needs to happen though is it's got to be sustained. And this stuff happens every couple of years. It's cyclical. You remember mm-hmm. when Oscar So White came out, right? And then there was a huge push for diversity, and then it kind of wanes, but some of it lasts. And then you get. Lena Waithe that comes out and, and has her production company and starts to do a slew of things. And you get Issa Rae's born out of that, you know, movement where they're going to highlight black voices. And then you get this moment here and there's been an influx of black scripts. There's been an influx of, of black production houses, black um, commercials, black TV shows. They're starting to push for all of that stuff. And some of it's going to stick. Some mm-hmm. of it won't. And then we'll have another deal. And the thing to do is just keep ratcheting it forward till it's equal. Mm-hmm. What it. do you feel like you haven't seen yet that you would like to see? I haven't seen yet. I, oh, man, I don't know. Um, you know what I want to see? You know what I want to see? This is just be real. Because I love what Tyler Perry does. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of Tyler Perry movies, per se. So, okay? Right, right. I love what he does, but in hiring black people and empowering black people, what I want to see that I haven't seen, this is just a personal thing for me. I want to see Tyler Perry take on like a Godfather type film. Mm. I think that would be so dope to see him tackle that and him just move out of the realm of what he's doing, which is is profitable. I mean, what he does in his, his movies, profitable. But I would love to see him step up. You know, sometimes we see a rapper do a different type of album, right? right or a right. different type of genre, you know? I would love to see Tyler Perry tackle that because I think he is the premier black auteur right now in the, in, in the world. For sure. And I, I mean, I have such a, a vast amount of respect for Tyler Perry, you know, just his story, how much he's built his own empire. But I would say the issue that I have is that I do still, as much as he does portray very positive black uh tropes often in his characters he still does sometimes feed it to those stereotypes that we're trying to run away from and i think that's a common um 
a common perception of, of a lot of his work, you know, but I am mad at him. I respect him. I love it. He's employed many of my friends. So I, I'm grateful for the work that he is doing, but I, I think that'd be cool. I think yeah. that'd be really cool to see him take on a very different genre because you wouldn't expect not that. Just like, I don't mean just Godfather. I mean, just like a real cinematic, you know, film, something slower. It's not for the laughs. You know, I've seen some of the dramas, but let's go, even more, like yeah. see him put together. Like, a, I would love to see Tyler Perry get a chance to do a film with Denzel, mm -hmm. by Don Cheadle. Like, why can't we? I mean, The Godfather had Oscar winner after Oscar winner after Oscar winner. Why yeah. can't we get? I want to see Tyler Perry work with those people. Yeah, see what he could do. I think yeah. it, would be, it would be something different, and it might change. It might change the way that the, that he produced. I agree. I agree. I think it'd be a really cool shift for him. And who knows? I mean, the guy is kind of unstoppable right now. So he may take that that leap in the next year or two. And I would love to see that. So for you, in terms of the roles that you've played and the projects that you've been a part, has there been anything that's been really rewarding for you and that has really just made you proud as a black man to be portraying a specific role that you got to do? Um, my favorite role ever, um, I got to play a Black Panther in Good Girls Revolt. Um, it was a show created by Dana Calvo um, for uh, Amazon Prime, right? And this role, like, I remember when I got the audition and I was like, whoa, this is going to be amazing. Like, I can't go audition for this. I love, I'm an actor. I love auditioning. Like, there is no, I don't, you know, I got some friends who are like, I hate auditioning. No, it is my favorite thing to do. I I wake up every morning, like, refreshing, waiting for a new audition because I want to dive in and find this story, read this script, and and get a chance to play and, and audition and compete to get a job. Like, it's, it's, I used to play football. It's a rush for me, right? So when I got that audition, I was so, like, excited to portray this. And then I did the research and... I had known about the Black Panthers. I'm from the Bay Area, you know what I mean? So I know about Huey Newton and Bobby Seale mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the movements and the, you know, the, the free lunch, and the breakfast programs and all that stuff. But I didn't know about Fred Hampton. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know. I, I mean, I just didn't. I had, it wasn't in my you know, vernacular. I hadn't done the research or, or been immersed in that. So when I got this role, I studied, just, I started studying up some Black Panthers and I found out about Fred Hampton. And... That's who I tried to embody as I played this role. And when we got there and we shot it, we shot it. The, the director was Scott Weiner, um, who directed um, episodes of Mad Men and Breaking Bad. Like, he was just phenomenal. And we got on set, and they just, it was just quiet as we were doing this. There was one moment where I'm, I'm going back and forth with Hunter. He's uh, Hunter. I forget his last name, but Hunter was such, such a good actor and just, and just gave me everything I needed. Uh, it was really, really good, really just dope to be able to portray that and show people the other side because they were demonized. And yeah. this character allowed me to, you know, remove the, the veil and show people exactly what Black Panthers were doing. They were doing yeah. good. They were demonized by the government because they were trying to help Black people. And of course, there were some, there were some who weren't doing the right thing. <laughs> But it's always, it's right. That's in every situation in every yeah. group. And I, you know, I think it's, it's important that we start to see more of those narratives of seeing what the true stories are behind a lot of, you know, black figures that were kind of vilified in the past. Cause I, I completely agree. Black Panthers, you bring that name up to anybody and they're like, 
they're probably unless you know black people who know the actual history of black panthers and know all the good so many people don't know yeah. about the breakfast programs and, and the things that they're tutoring and they, they did the programs for help young students so many people do not know that they just think it's a militant group that was causing trouble yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. and so I, I love that you were able to portray a black panther in a positive light that had to be very rewarding it was so rewarding so cool and, and like you said people just don't know and the problem is people don't know and then they won't go find out <laughs> right right like my yo my, my i love talking about defunding the police that's mm. something i believe in and i'm really passionate about and people will yell at you when i'm you know talking about it or i say or i hold a sign that says defund the police people are like we need the police i'm not saying get rid of the police right now they're not going to disappear do you understand how about you come and talk let's find out find out what it means and then let's see how you feel about it afterwards. Yeah. But people yeah. don't take the time to find both stories. And that's why well, I think we also suffer from like a headline culture in, in society. You know, you see just the phrase and that's what you automatically think it is. Or you read the headline of a story and you actually don't read the article. Well, read the article. Just, yeah, yeah. People are just inherently lazy. <laughs> I <have> to realize. <laughs> Yeah. Especially because things require work. You know, if you want to make change, you have to put the work in. And a lot of people just don't want to take that step. But you are doing that. That's why you started your nonprofit organization. You're a co-founder, The Valley of Change. So tell me a little bit about why you decided to start that and what the goals are of the organization. Uh, Valley of Change was started by myself and a lady named Latora Green. Um, I was in San Diego when the George Floyd uh, murder protests started happening and then some of the subsequent riots were happening. And I've always been a political, you know, political person and a political friend, you know, in my group of friends, I'm the, the, the one who's going to be the most loud about things going on in the yeah. government, things that have been happening. It's always, you know, been that way. Um, and when I saw this, I wanted to get out there and do something. I wanted to do some protests. I wanted to take my son, but, you know, I saw on TV, the police were acting a fool. So I didn't want to take him out there and have him possibly be in the middle of any of that. And we were in the midst of a pandemic. COVID was going on, so I didn't know how that was going to happen, right? So um, I heard there were people, we, we came back from San Diego, we drove back, and we we're like, okay, what we'll do is we'll go down to Hollywood, because we saw on the news that buildings were vandalized and stuff was broken and everything. And I was like, you know what, for our part of the protest, we'll go and help clean up. I'm not gonna go there and clean up and be talking trash about the people who did it, because yo, sometimes shit gotta happen, right? <laughs> but I'm coming down there to to help clean up, and um, that's what we'll do. And we got there, and everything's boarded up, everything's cleaned up already. But don't watch, don't let Fox News tell you because right. it's still going on. Um, but we got home, and I heard there were people on the, uh, the corner of my neighborhood, Sepulveda and Ventura, and they were holding signs and doing it like a little protest. So I was like, oh, that's perfect. There's, you know, I know the big things going on downtown, but I live here, so I wanted to. I want to show our community that there's people believing the same thing and standing up, and it's time to like do something. So me and my son made some signs, and we walked down there, and then he started asking me all kind of questions about racism, how we combat it, um, you know, how do we, why do we fight it, like how do we fight it, what do we do, and he never asked me questions like that before. I mean, he's 16. All he does is sit in the room and watch TV and, and play basketball and whatever. So when he did that, it inspired me to stay involved in this protest. I got down there and there was a few people standing, you know, maybe like eight to 10 people, but everybody was spread out and not talking because COVID and, you know, people, not everybody is gregarious. 
But I went there and I met everybody on that corner, said hello to everybody, talked, introduced myself. So that everybody felt a community because when I got there, there was a bunch of white people. And I was like, I can't let these white people go home. Like they've got to <laughs> stay involved in this thing. Yeah. And so by the end of the day, I was given a speech. The next day, Latora gave me a bullhorn and I was talking on the bullhorn. And then we decided to start a nonprofit and my friend came up with the name Valley of Change and we met Kyla Garcia who runs our social media, Rick Patrick who runs our website. And this would never happen without those people. That's it's incredible. It's amazing. So what are some, uh, I guess, events or initiatives that you guys are working on currently? Well, we do a Feed Our Friends in Need event that we, I think we're on our sixth one. Wow. Um, yeah, and, you know, it just started by us going into, we are on the corner, and, you know, we were like, yo, okay, let's just make some bag lunches, and we'll go hand them out to the homeless. And we started doing that, and then we turned it and went to the park, and then it turned into making bags and, and going out and canvassing, right? We do a community cleanup with um, Erica Rhodes. Uh, she's running for the, she's running for Congress in 2022, um, in the 30th district here, which is, which is Sherman Oaks. Mm -hmm. um, we also are, we partner up with other organizations to do clothing drives and, you know, just, we're just trying to stay involved. We did a, a bit with Buckley where Buckley, it's Buckley Serves. It's a local private school that um, we did a feed with them, right? Mm -hmm. And now we just partnered with Crespi, uh, Crespi Carmelite School, where my son is a uh, student there. He just made the honor roll, so congratulations oh, to him. Oh, congrats. Uh, so we're partnering with them to do hygiene kits. And, uh, you know, what I initially started it for, and, and my real goal with it, was to get people involved in voter education. Mm. Because that is where we lack in. People don't know. I didn't know. Until this moment, this year, I used to go to the election, election uh, box, and I would didn't know the names of anybody, most of the people I was elected, right? I knew the mayor, I knew the governor. I did not know who the DA was. I didn't know mm. who the sheriff was. I didn't know who these judges were. I didn't know who these, um, you know, uh, city council members were. I used to just pick the people who sounded like minorities and women. That's who I would pick, literally, right? But sometimes, even if they sound like a minority, they might not be for minority. Right. You gotta do your homework. And that's what I really wanted to bring to the value of change. And we were really big with helping, I, I will say that, we were really big with helping Nithi Raman get elected to uh, city council district number Wonderful. four. We had her speak at our corner a couple of times and she's doing amazing work. We're so excited for that. We did not force anybody to vote because we're a nonprofit. We can't sway anybody. But if people want to come talk to the people, you can come talk where we're going to be at. And she came and she did it and she won. I think that's so valuable. And I think people don't realize on a local level how important voting is. You know, when you think of elections, most people that don't know anything just think about the president, you know, which granted we've seen in the last four years that you needed to care. <laughs> but I, I love that you're doing that. And I have another friend that does voter workshops and she was really kind of emboldened to want to create voter workshops because of the last four years saying like, look, this is how you make change. This is how you make a difference. And if you are gonna complain about something, you, you, you know, you need to vote and use yeah. your voice because your voice does matter. So I yeah. really love that you're doing that because I think people don't realize how important voter education is. It's really, yeah. really great that you guys are doing that. And, and connect me with your friend who does the voter workshops. Absolutely, that I will. Cause she's, she's in the Los Angeles area as well. So I think she'd yeah. love to, to partner with you. And I love, you know, putting just excellent black people together. 
<laughs> it makes me so happy. So I want to backtrack because I know you said you're a father and you have a son. So what are conversations like in your household with your son about just going out into the world and being a black man? Um, you know, the way I've always approached it is the way that I approach it. I don't want my son to go out into the world afraid of anything. Yeah. Don't go out there afraid because when you go out there afraid, that's when, when, when shit happens, right? And, not, and shit happens anytime. Right. But when you go out there and you're afraid, fear makes you jumpy, makes you nervous, right? I want you to understand you are in control of what you're doing. If you go out there and you're acting a fool, you're bringing on dumb shit that could possibly happen. <laughs> Right. Don't be out there acting a fool, you know, and I know you're 16. You're going to act a fool sometimes. Just don't act a fool so much, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're ever involved with the police, the police, the cops, they are just people in uniform. They're just like you. They're just like me. They're doing a job. So don't treat them like they're higher than you. Don't treat them like they're lower than you. You don't need to pay fealty to a police officer. Yeah. Treat them like you treat anybody else that you see in the street have a regular conversation with them because I feel like to me, what happens is uh, I feel like a lot of times and what has happened since the beginning, please, we give them too much power. We give them too much power. We're afraid yeah. every time they pull us over that, that, oh, what's up, Bob? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, not sir, you know what I mean? Like, right. hey, what is me? Like, what am I calling you sir for? Or you're younger than me, I'm calling you sir or ma'am? No. How you doing? <laughs> What's up? What did I do? You know, and hey, okay, cool. You guys got me. Here, take, take, take. I'll take the ticket. But we don't need to be paying fealty to these people. And I feel mm -hmm. like doing that has raised them up to a level where they just think that they have the power to do what they want. And of course, racism does that too. But right. Right. we can do our part by not acting like the police are godly, right? They're mm -hmm. just like you and me. They get paid to do a job that we actually pay them to do. Yeah, yeah. They don't need to be treating us any other way. They need to treat us like we're equal to them as well. So in terms of defund the police, what are the biggest changes you would like to see happen kind of under that initiative? Because I know for me, and I'm sure you're going to be in agreement with this, but I just would love for you to say it in your own words. I've just always thought that police are overworked and a lot of them are in it for the wrong reasons, which we've clearly seen with a lot of this police brutality that's happened. But I also think that there are certain situations where a cop doesn't even need to be involved. You know, when you think about people with mental health, you think about even, you know, some domestic violence situations. I mean, maybe a police there, but maybe like a counselor or a therapist or something. I think that that's what a lot of funds need to be allocated towards. And I think people don't think about that. And, you know, and I know that that's what defund the police is really trying to do. But for you, what do you think should be the biggest priority kind of under that, uh, that platform? I think mental health. Right. Mental health is huge. And it's something that we never really thought about growing up. You just thought that police showed up. Somebody was bad. Yeah. Right? You didn't think that somebody might have an issue that the police aren't there able to solve. The police might have a mental health issue. <laughs> it's going to stop. You know what I mean? Right. We got mental health problems up the ass in America. It's just a real thing because people yeah. don't people don't believe in getting therapy and getting help. Everybody thinks they can fix themselves. Right. So you got police officers out there that need mental health. And they're going to go and solve problems for the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. We've got to do better with that. We need yeah. to have mental health professionals coming to some of these incidents to, to handle it, right? We don't need a cop there. When we defund, it means reallocate the funds. Stop giving them over a billion dollars in funding, right? Because what that does is the next time, you know how many times I see a homeless person with 
three or four cop cars around them. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Right? That means they got they get they ain't got nothing to do. Okay, mm-hmm. they ain't got nothing to do because crime is that. I mean, we are people don't understand. We are living in the safest time we've ever lived in. Right? Because people just hear numbers. They hear statistics. Like we used to live in times where there was more war going on all the time. There was actually real violence. And every year, technology lessens that violence. Community lessens that violence. Us we, being smarter and more intelligent lessens yeah. that violence. It's going to happen, but it gets less and less and less. Every, statistically, it just happens, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't need all these police around just waiting for people to, to, to have infractions or stop. If we defunded, it would trim the fat. Right, because that's what you do in any job. If you stop putting money here, it's going to cut off the supply of people that keep having in there. So who gets left? The best of the best. Defunded. Stop having six cops roll up on a homeless person. We need one good cop to go do that. Right, mm-hmm. and, and 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 you know when you defund, you can reallocate the funds to how you pay them as well. If you paid these people like they were actually doing a real job, you would get better people there because. Yeah. Who the hell is going to put their life on the line for 60K? <laughs> right, right. That's somebody that you, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of heroes and, and great people who would be willing to do that. But you're going to get some people who don't have the best judgment to go and take 60K to put their life on the line. And they're going to think of it in a different way. And when they interact with people, that's when, it, that's when problems happen. Yeah. Right? As you're saying that, I just, I don't know if you watched Chris Rock's a special tambourine, but he was saying, you know, with cops, you get what you pay for. That, that's it. That's it. You get what you pay for. I'm not, and I'm, yo, I'm, like I said, my dad, my dad used to be a cop. Mm. So I, 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 I'm not going to disparage, you know, I don't hate, I don't like the job of police. Yeah. I like the people. There's some people who are great. I just don't like your job. Yeah. I wish you didn't have that job. Yeah. And I wish they paid them more because you get better candidates if you pay them more. It's true. And I think, I mean, that goes for any type of job, but it's true. If you show people like, hey, you're valued, you're worth it, then they're going to do a better job. Same goes for teachers. You know, teachers work their asses off and they don't get paid anything. But if you show them that what they're doing has value, they're going to put more effort in. But I know so many teachers that aren't paid anything and they still put in so much effort because they care about their job. And there are cops that do just care regardless of how much that they're paid, you know? So I I, I hope that defund the police does find some traction and that people stop focusing on the phrase, but focus on the underlying content within that phrase so that we can really see some real, real change within the police departments because it needs to happen soon. It did happen. I mean, the budget, the mayor's budget cut off, I think about 250 million from the police. Yeah, it, it's it's a good start. So I want to see where those funds are going to go, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but it was defunded a bit. That's and true. That's true. It'll keep happening. And that's yeah. all we want. You know, you yeah. can't go in there saying we need to go from a, a billion to zero. No, that's <laughs> not going to happen. Right, that's right. Happen. And no one's even asking for that, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> so in terms of your acting, what are some upcoming projects that you have, if you can talk about them? Um, I can't talk about a couple of the ones that are upcoming, but I'm excited, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, I'm currently um, I'm, I'm a, a character in Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Awesome. Uh, play Lawrence Sims, which is um, dope. I mean, I, it's a dream come true to be in a video game. I grew yeah. up always wanted to be a video game. And now, I'm, not only am I in the game, 
It's me. It's you. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, that is actually yeah. Reggie when I saw the picture. Yeah. <laughs> it's me. It's my voice. It's so dope. And I have like, I have fans. It's crazy. I have, I have fans. I never, you know what I mean? Like, you don't, I don't, I didn't get into acting to be fans. I got into acting because I just, I wanted to be Theo Huxley, right? I wanted to be, I wanted to be on TV, just like coming into people's televisions every week with their I remember it was so fun when I was a kid watching TV. We'd huddle around the TV Thursday, Friday night, and we'd all watch, and we'd take something out of those episodes, right? We'd think about it the next week, and it would shape the way that we went about our life. Yeah. I wanted to be one of those people that did that. That's all I ever wanted to do. I didn't want to be famous. I don't None of that stuff, right? Um, but I've got fans now, and it's crazy, and I'm so excited. I message everybody back. Like, they probably think I'm crazy. Like, all these people, I mean, literally, you got, I don't care how many followers you got. I got people messaging me with 20 followers, but they got a picture of my character. I'm going to repost it for you, right? I'm going to talk to you. I just love it. I'm on this ride. It's a journey. It's really dope, but I'm just, I'm just having fun. Well, let everyone know where we can follow you and continue following your journey and supporting you with your art. Yes. Thank you so much, Melinda. Okay, you can follow me at Coach with Reg, all one word on Instagram, at Reggie Watkins Jr. on Twitter. At Reggie Watkins Jr. on Clubhouse. Y'all, you on Clubhouse yet? Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. I just did a Clubhouse before <laughs> I, I, I chatted with you. Oh, there we go, right? Okay, so that's Clubhouse. And what else do I got? Uh, YouTube, Reggie Watkins. And The Valley of Change on Instagram. It's all one word, at The Valley of Change. And on Twitter, it is at Valley Change. Let's connect. Well, you know, I love that you're using your platform to make change. And I just hope people look up to you and follow what you're doing because you're doing some really, really great work. And I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. You. And to the listeners, make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.